Welcome to your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons. Jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Top story, Michael Flynn is off the hook. He's off the hook. He's out of jail. I never thought, or he's not going to jail. I never thought he would go to jail. I never think these high-profile guys are going to really spend bad time in prison. He was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency. But I did think something was interesting. I I remember I heard this. They keep talking about how it had to do with sanctions and talking to Russia. And uh, do you, do you, can I give you like the the kind of timeline? Do you... Are you interested in what the story was, or is it has the that Flynn timeline? Yeah, like what actually what it was all about. Yeah, I'm interested in what the original thing's all about. I think that yeah. this thing is pushing the Russian narrative back into the mainstream. Totally, I totally agree. And the reason I found it interesting is what it was going on is that it really had very little to do with the Russian narrative of in election interference. Yeah. So this I got from the Times of Israel. It said. It was just a timeline, bullet point timeline. It said December 12th, 2016, Flynn, so right after the election, but before the inauguration, Flynn was directed by Jared Kushner to contact Russia, Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, about a UN-Israeli settlement resolution in an attempt to delay or defeat the vote. On December 23rd, Kislyak says that Russia will not vote against the resolution if it comes to a vote. So the only hope is to stop the vote. 1228, so five days after that, Obama imposes sanctions against Russia. Kislyak contacts Flynn. Flynn talks to Katie McFarland, who's at Mar-a-Lago with Trump, I guess over Christmas, I don't know, uh, To and she tells him to ask Kislyak not to escalate over the sanctions. Please do not escalate. And Kislyak says, okay. January 15th, Pence says on the TV that Flynn did not discuss sanctions with Kislyak. On the 24th of January, Flynn lies to the FBI about the conversation regarding the UN resolution and the sanctions. This lie could be grounds for blackmail, Sally Yates says, and makes him a liability. So Trump gets him to resign on February 13th. On the 14th of February, Trump tells Comey to just let the whole thing go. On March 7th, Flynn registers as a foreign agent because of his work with Turkey. On May 9th, Comey is fired. And then later, about a year after this whole thing happened, December 1st in 2017, Flynn pleads guilty to lies and omissions. And that's that's what it was. It really it really had nothing to do with payola or Russian interference. The only thing that had to do with the Russian thing is that Obama supposedly now Obama imposed these sanctions five days after Kislyak said they would not vote on against those resolutions. So it could have been retaliatory for that. But the story is it's retaliatory for Russian interference. And all Flynn did was tell Kislyak not to escalate. That's why when it's whenever the story is a cover up or a lie or whatever, and the underlying crime isn't really that interesting, it seems like either a psyop or a setup to me. Yeah. You know why he got off, right? Why? I can tell you if you're interested. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me. White privilege. Oh, my God. 
What was the official cause? Well, Ilan Omar says white privilege is at yes. work, and that's why he yes. got Yes, yes. Oh, yes, right. It's totally controversial. I know, I know. People are saying that he's just getting... It's abuse of power, yeah, the State yeah. Department, all this stuff. It's just an indication but, of what's to come. Do you remember what Barr says? Why, why did Barr say he got off? Oh, it's because the FBI memos said that they were trying to get him to lie and incriminate himself. He was entrapped, basically. Basically, not that entrapment ever gets anybody off of anything. Yeah. They then <laughs> they then threaten you with like 500 years in prison, and you're like, even if you didn't do it. Yeah, it's so interesting anyway, to see the, rep- just, the reporting yeah. on this mentions none of the things that you just mentioned. The reporting yeah, is I always just, thought it was this weird. is an abuse of power. How could they do this? This is unprecedented. It was like Jeff Sessions had to be recused from all of this because he had a conversation, I think, with this guy, Kisliak, at the RNC or something, and he didn't remember it. So they asked him if he ever, and he's like, didn't remember it. And then they pointed out this obscure rule that if you were on the campaign during, you know, or if you were involved in any way in something that became an issue for the FBI, you had to recuse yourself. So Sessions was like, I didn't lie or anything, but I definitely, you know, you, you got me on the technicality. So that, yeah, that has to be super nerve wracking to go be interviewed or questioned by the FBI when you know that they do these things. You know that they have trap questions. You know that they can play on false memories. And people's memories aren't very sharp. Like, we remember things generally, sometimes specific if it's more emotional and it leaves that imprint. But, like, things in passing, very difficult to I remember. Would, I would let, I would trust Sessions. I'm not saying he's a libertarian. He's not. So I don't agree with his policy. But that guy is a sharp cookie. And when they trapped him like that, he laughed. He was just like... Yeah, I, I would just, I don't know how they expect to ever actually get good responses to questions if they are in good faith seeking answers when people know that they can use things like you get the color of your car wrong. Oh, you lie to the FBI. You're going to jail. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. And you get in big trouble when you lie to them, but they can lie to you. They're completely permitted yeah. to lie to you. So that shooting so, in Georgia has kind of taken yeah. the mainstream it it, what i see that there's a lot of things going on here one thing i see this as before we go into the details of it is there has been a definitive shift in the news narrative from 100 percent covid all the time to other topics have started to seed into the narrative so i I see a shifting focus where i think we're going to have kind of a brief reprieve from the coronavirus stuff and i do believe it will Reemerge as dominant in the news cycle. It still is dominant, but we are starting to see other topics, other divisive topics come into the news. Yeah, I I was wondering for a while there if you, they'd actually have big events, terrorist events, stuff like that, when the when the gates open again, if all the stuff that they use to terrorize us from the drug war to the opiate war to kids dying of vaping to terrorism to weather, everything is going to just come flooding in. Yeah. But this, I mean, it's really interesting. It's a memo written by the Office of the District Attorney of the Waycross Judicial Circuit. And it's he it's written to the police captain. And the guy says he's recusing himself at the request of the mother. This is a letter from April 2nd. So it was the day the sanctions were imposed in Georgia. The shooting was February 23rd. And he said he did not pursue it himself, but he's recusing himself. And there's going to be a delay because of the shutdown of getting somebody to take his place. But the reason they did not press charges is, and I'll just read like two, one short paragraph, one long paragraph, but I encourage people to read the whole thing. I tweeted it at Monica Perez Show, and maybe we can put it in the show notes. Maybe I'll put some links together and give them to you. 
So uh, the guy rattles off his credentials. He says uh, the, the autopsy confirms what he believed to be true, the photographs, witness statements. And it says that the McMichaels, Travis McMichael and Greg McMichael, are the guys who were arrested for shooting him. The guy who filmed it is Brian William. And he is being investigated, by the way. They were following in hot pursuit a burglary suspect with solid firsthand probable cause in their neighborhood and asking him to tell him to stop. They wanted to stop and hold the criminal law, law suspect until law enforcement arrived. It was perfectly legal to do that, and they had guns perfectly legally. Now, I would just interject that citizen arrest, if you resist arrest, you get in big trouble. Citizen arrest is valid or government arrest would not be valid. You cannot delegate to the government any power you don't have. So uh, they, their intent was to arrest him. All right, now this is the big paragraph. And this is, he talks about the video. I looked and looked for the entire video and I did not see the entire thing. Did you see the entire video? I saw that there was a 37 second video and that's what right. I saw. It has to be longer than that, but I saw that video. Well, you didn't see blood spurting. That's on the video. I didn't see that either. I saw the short That's one. That's what they I said. I cannot find the long one, even though it gives you a graphic warning. What? Well, when they describe the video, they say the blood spurting thing in the context right. of the 37 second video. I watched the 37 second video. I didn't see the blood spurting thing. I didn't. You can't really draw uh, that's conclusions a good point. from the no, video. Well, I'm, yeah, the video is not complete. It appears because of what this guy is saying. But the way it's described in the USA Today, where I linked through to this, the USA Today's description is completely like they were in hot pursuit and they just murdered the guy. Yeah. Even though I found this memo through their article, this is what he says. He says, the video made by William Bryan clearly shows the shooting in real time. From said video, it appears Arbery was running along the right side of the McMichael truck, then abruptly turned 90 degrees to the left and attacked Travis McMichael, who was standing at the front left corner of the truck. A brief skirmish ensues in which it appears Arbery strikes Michael and appears to grab the shotgun and pull it from McMichael. The first shot is through Arbery's right hand palm, which is consistent with him grabbing and pulling the shotgun at the barrel tip. The second and third wounds are consistent with the struggle for the shotgun as depicted in the video. The angle of the second shot with the rear of the buttstock being pushed away and down from the fight are also consistent with the upward angle of blood plume shown in the video. And that McMichael was attempting to push the gun away from Arbery while Arbery was pulling it towards himself. The third shot to... The third shot also appears to be in a struggle over the gun. The angle of the shots and the video show this was from the beginning or almost immediately became a fight over the shotgun. Given the fact Arbery initiated the fight at the point Arbery grabbed the shotgun, under Georgia law, McMichael was allowed to use deadly force to protect himself. Just as important, while we know McMichael had his finger on the trigger, we do not know who caused the firings. Arbery would only have had to pull the shotgun approximately one sixteenth to one eighth of an inch to fire the weapon himself. And in the height of an altercation, this is entirely possible. Arbery's mental health records and prior convictions help explain his apparent aggressive nature and his possible thought pattern to attack an armed man. There's a couple more interesting facts that I found as well. McMichael, who was a former police officer who recently retired, the dad, he worked on the previous case that this kid got arrested. Oh, and interesting. I believe he also worked on a case where his brother, who I think is still 
in jail got arrested. The families knew each other for a long time, so there was a history there. Whose brother is in jail? Arbery? Yeah. Okay, because they, that is why they wanted recusal, because this guy had been yeah, in that department. It's the history that they have with these families. So they knew who this, who this guy was. And McMichael, the dad, claims that the night before, he saw on a surveillance video the kid burglarizing someone and stealing. No, no word of that video being produced. They just said that that happened. He didn't actually give the video to anybody or, or point it out. But that's some of the background. And so this is two families who, who were aware of each other. There was conflict there already. I personally have been messed with. I, when I was under 21, I got arrested for drinking at a fake ID back in my wild days. And I got arrested and the cop there messed with me that night. And then I saw the cop. He wasn't much older than me at the time. He was probably 25. I saw him in a bar a night when I wasn't drinking and he spent the entire night trying to intimidate and mess with me for no reason, really. And I actually went and I talked to his captain. I said, I got in trouble. I was there. He was there the night I was in jail. And he just messed with me and tried to intimidate me the entire night. And so I, I, I can see I, from my experience, obviously, not as intense as this. It's a terrible situation, but you can't tell what really happened in that video. People can claim well, that they can. Well, you can't tell in the clip of the video we saw, but it sounds like this guy in the full video, yeah. you, you saw a lot more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that they're definitely rolling this out as a Trayvon Martin kind of thing. Trayvon Martin was full of ambiguity, very similar situation. And if you cut the video just right, you can keep that ambiguity alive. And when Trump comes out and says, I saw a picture of that kid in a tuxedo, he looks like a great guy, which is what he said. I mean, that just feeds it because then on the other hand, he's going to say, but he might have been a criminal. Who knows? And that's interesting that you say that because the two separate, the right and the left reported on it differently with different pictures. There's that picture that you're referring to of him in a tuxedo. And then on the more right wing websites, you're going to see the mugshot from when he was previously arrested. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. That's highly prejudicial. But I just I feel like if that video weren't clarifying they would just show us the whole thing i mean you should at least be able to find it on live leak or bit shoot or something yeah and this is something i'm interested about they talk a lot about him jogging they say that he routinely jogged and he might very well have that narrative is only the narrative because that's what's been seeded that is not you you cannot clearly derive from that video that he was out jogging right i agree he was running yeah, that video so is, and maybe he was, but I, you really can tell nothing and be more confused by watching that video. That's all that video I tried does. to see, like they, they're doing a 2.3 mile run because that's how far he that. was from his house. But I didn't, I've never saw his address. Like I saw the town of where it happened, but they don't say the town. They say the county, the county's big. So the town of where it happened, they don't say the town of where he lives. So they're saying it's 2.3 miles away. Maybe it is, but I could not verify that. Yeah. These guys might. But whatever, I'm just saying it's highly ambiguous, and the guy's uh, description of the video being consistent with the autopsy is pretty good information if you wanted to have a little more clarity. But it was even in the USA Today article that I kept clicking through to get to this. The representation was did not include this possible interpretation of events. Yeah, they did not talk about that much. But what I fear is going to happen here is. People are seeing this video as conclusive evidence of wrongdoing. And 
that's not evidence that they're guilty. What that is to me is it's evidence of ambi- ambiguity. 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 It's more of like the race war stuff. That's, they yes. just love that. And uh, yeah. you want to use Obama for that? You could use Trump for yeah, that. They're going to get off. I think. The I think they're probably going to get off and it's going to cause some divisive racial thing down here. The whole thing's a terrible situation. On that note, we will go to, go to something quick, more yeah. up, oh, more hopeful. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Neighbors Feed and Seed. While other states like Michigan have deemed seed suppliers to be non-essential businesses, that's not the case here in Georgia. And with a lot of us spending more time at home than usual right now, there's no better time to get all of your gardening needs taken care of. And if you're anything like me, then you don't know how to grow a thing in your yard, but you want to learn. Neighbors Feed and Seed has a knowledgeable staff that will give you fantastic advice on how to grow anything. They offer garden supplies, vegetable plants, bird feeds, chicken feeds, premium pet food, just about anything you can think of. And the best part about it is that they are locally owned by a fantastic group of people. So if you're in the Smyrna area, stop by Neighbors Feed and Seed and say hello. Or check out their website at NeighborsFeedandSeed.com. And tell them the Propaganda Report sent you. So, yeah, speaking of vigilantes, these guys are vigilantes. Are we not meant to... uh, uh, Is that not... Aren't we enforcing the law all the time with people? I mean, how do you you were telling me a story about how like retail workers are the front lines of mask enforcement? Yeah, <laughs> you know, how you is know, that okay? That vigilante theme is going around right now with the virus vigilantes hiring contact tracers. Go out and be a professional snitch. Get you know to get back get back up on your feet by telling on people, and now we have uh, these people who are working at stores, cashiers, and retailers are kind of becoming the enforcers of the social distancing and mask wearing stuff, and it's causing a lot of conflicts. A lot of times, people that work in these jobs are younger teenagers maybe who didn't get into this job to be a police officer or to enforce things and they're getting response like hostile responses from people absolutely and that's that is above their pay grade Mm -hmm. to be asked to deal with every person who comes in there who's pissed off about having to wear a mask and it is yeah. yeah it's a common theme that we are asked to enforce like in new york they could never make the no smoking rule stick but then they started fining a health violation to the bars and then the bars had to enforce it or like withholding tax if you want to do a tax revolt you can't because your employer is obliged to withhold taxes for the government steal from you on their behalf and it's causing violence in situations we've already talked about some of them the guy who was shot at the the one store by the the four people shot in the back of the head because of the mask then there was a story about a worker being thrown across McDonald's or something like that because they asked the person to put on the mask. And then there's stories in malls where people aren't wearing masks and they're getting, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of conflict is coming from the mask, which is real and practical and also now a divisive symbol. Yes, that's true. And I wanted to, it reminds me of some, a little bit, a little bit more digging I did on the Mikevitz thing. So Tenpenny, Dr. Tenpenny, who I really like, she says that this say something, she pointed out, I'm sure she's right, the see something, say something thing was like a prelude to this. So I, and and her video with Spiro was called, this is the greatest scam perpetrated against humankind. But last night I sat sat up, watched two hours of video. I kind of faded out a little bit, but uh, it was Mikevitz, it was Tenpenny, it was Del Bigtree, it was RFK, it was Wakefield, who was the original guy who did the 
autism study with the um, vaccines. And then a guy, Batar, who I don't know. And Mikevitz was saying stuff she says, which like triggers me. And Tenpenny, to her cry, was really wanted to see how they interacted. Tenpenny immediately like called her bullshit. It was just like, that doesn't even make sense. And I'm not trying to mess with you. I just can't understand what you're saying. And then Mikevitz went off on some complete like, you know, bullshitty thing that you could not trace. So the two things that Mikevitz said that really reinforced my feeling that she's just a taint agent is she said, if you wear a mask, you will die. And if you get a vaccine, you will die, that you're you're reinforcing the COVID inside your mask and it'll get more and more stronger. I mean, I don't know, but like the fact that they're hyper validating the fear stuff. RFK led the thing by saying we need an investigation into Fauci's offshoring his research to the Wuhan lab. He spent five minutes talking about that at the beginning of the session. So I'm not convinced by any of those guys, basically, except for Del Bigtree and Dr. Tenpenny. They've withstood every scrutiny I've applied. The problem here is that everybody is trying to ignite people through extreme fear. And when that becomes the model, the standard for activating people, that we're going to scare the hell out of them. And the other side's like, well, if they're going to scare the hell out of them, we're going to scare the hell out of them in our way. Then they both become distrustful to people like us, especially. But when everybody's trying to scare you, it's like, I feel like you're both trying to con me right now. I don't think, well, I mean, like, I wouldn't characterize the entire side as that. Del, Del Bigtree wasn't doing that and Tenpenny wasn't doing that. That's why I think Mikevitz and maybe even RFK at this point, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one. Maybe he just thinks that he's, that compromising is the better way, kind of like I think Rand Paul maybe thinks. But Mikovitz, Mikovitz, I've, I, I think she's a taint agent, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that video, the documentary. Plandemic. I'm not, even, I'm not, yeah, plandemic. I'm not even saying that I disagree with all of it or that I think all of it is false. I think that there are a lot of truths in there, but the way that it started, and I'll say this again, instantly lost me because it was full of those empty, glittering generalities and dramatic music and just this tone. It's like, okay, this is, what is this? Like a fiction and movie? And coupled with the fact that both of us received it five times within 24 hours from people that we like and know and trust yeah. saying you must, well, like the hype really got got to people. Yeah, it would have had more credibility in my eyes if that whole first minute would have been removed. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. But it's not for us. It's, you know, it's a different level of propaganda. Like they come in at different levels. I'm sure. Well, I probably get sucked in by some too. So I just wanted to just let you know what I was looking at this death count, the provisional death count numbers that I was talking about. Like I've heard like three people talk about them recently. So I guess they're emerging as as having some interesting factors, one of which I didn't really catch. Well, I couldn't find it, but um, I just wanted to say that it looks like a court from February 2nd to May 2nd, the death toll, a total death toll in this country, weekly, uh, daily average death toll in this country is 8,000 a day for 2020. And that's a long sample. That's all of February, all of March, all of April. The normal average daily death toll or the 2019 average daily death toll in this country was seven. Point seven thousand, so it was eight thousand now, and it was seventy seven hundred then. But even that, which makes it look like we have a little bit more, 
Last year, the January total, like it, it peaked, it's higher in December, January, February, March, and April than it is the other months. And last year, the January, I can only find the January daily average of 8,500 and the February daily average of 8,400. So that right there makes me think that I, if I could fill in those other two numbers for March and April, I would find a higher daily death toll in 2019, all causes than 2020, which would really yeah. reveal the lie here. Yeah, that's the number I've been looking out for, too, to see how that parallels. It's interesting when it comes to the COVID death number, now that they're actually retroactively going back and saying COVID was here back in December, January, before we knew it, ravaging people. So I'm looking for those retroactive applications to increase the death toll number, too. Right now on that thing of provisional, which draws exclusively from death certificates, but does have a lag supposedly because it takes can take like 10 days for them to get that information is that but I mean, it peaked in on the week of April 11th. So that lag should be closed uh, is 42,000 total COVID deaths. But that that's squishy, I think, with the pneumonia and stuff. Yeah, I think we're going to see over the course of the next couple of weeks more other news stories like the shooting and some of these other things that have come into the news because this is the three-week period that they talked about starting last week. They said, we won't know how deadly this, this opening up too early prematurely is for three weeks. They keep saying that three-week number, and it's been about a week. So I look for the next couple of weeks to be a little bit less COVID in the news, a little bit other stuff, oh, and yeah. the COVID okay. to pick back up after that three-week mark. Fair enough. So... Let me just make this funny about Pence, and then I want to hear what you've been observing about Venezuela. So I saw this Kimmel Pence, Pence is a douche or something trending on Twitter. Yeah. So it was a video. So Jimmy Kimmel introduces this video. So I guess it was from his show, and he's saying, listen closely. So it shows a very short video. It shows Pence carrying a box, uh, two boxes on a on a trolley you know on a hand truck and he like kind of lifts one box up and puts it inside the door and somebody else lifts the box up puts it inside the door and then takes the truck the hand truck back to the real truck and he says you know let's take the rest of the boxes and someone says to him those boxes are empty and he says well let's just do it for the camera and they laugh and then you don't see anything more so he he might have just walked away i assume he just walked away and then the, all the captions under the Kenny and Kimmel says, this is him. This nothing proves more. This guy is an empty box doing nothing but mugging for the camera. But I don't even think the guy did it. And then all the comments underneath were stuff like, and he actually acts like it's the box was heavy. But I, from the video, if you did look closely, like he told you to, it looked like there was something in the first box and there was no evidence that he was doing anything but joking. However, You've told us that, and I've observed it with my own eyes, that they do stuff like that all the time, photo ops with props. Yeah, they do photo ops to model the behavior that they want other people to do to build their halo around them so that people see them at like the Rockefeller thing. Rockefeller used to dance with people's wives and give kids a dime or a penny to re rehabilitate his image after they the were di the silver yeah. dimes. Yeah. Which so really it's, worth something. It's, it's all about that image control and modeling behavior for everybody else to do. Peter Sandman, the crisis communication guy talks about this a lot. They all do this. And 
for Jimmy Kimmel to be leading the charge on this, oh, the empty box, that's, that's real rich coming from him. He's likely to be the first one lining up on national television getting a vaccine, doing a photo op. I was so disgusted when he was promulgating national health care because his son had a heart problem. Yeah, I forgot about that. And I was like, that guy is so freaking rich. We already have Medicare and Medicaid for everybody who's poor or old. We have all the rich people get whatever the fungal they want. And now he just wants to make it so the middle class has has to get the same stuff that the poor people get. I just don't understand it. And you know what? I think the poor people don't actually get a different kind of health care. They just have a different kind of insurance. They still go to the same doctors. I see that my doctors take that stuff. So it's just making the middle class like all buy insurance. It really annoyed me. And I was a little annoyed because I believe he left his wife for like a series of women. And then, you know, that just kind of tweaks me a little bit, you know. To be like the dedicated dad evoking a lot of sympathy. And I'm just thinking, did he have any kids? Did he actually leave some of his kids behind? Like, I don't know, but I just. These people who seem like a paragon of virtue telling me how to what what's what's moral and what's not moral, especially on the left, especially as a progressive. If anybody ever watched the man show who he did with Adam Carolla. It violates everything that he pretends to represent. Now, the guy has not not only done full blackface, full black body making fun of Carl Malone, yet he's making jokes about Trump's a racist all the time. And hey, it's man, just, he's getting promoted to higher levels of propaganda. Absolutely. So there's been this story in the news a little bit, not too much, but it's pretty interesting. It's a failed coup out of Venezuela called Operation Gideon, I believe. It was a failed apparently military coup that was led by two former Green Berets and conducted by a group called the Silver Corp USA Group, which is a private contracting defense firm down in Florida, which formed shortly after Sandy Hook. And the guy who runs it, he has worked some Trump events, I think his company has. And what the coup was all about is they were trying to cause a nationwide rebellion against the Venezuelan government and capture its highest ranking members, including the president himself, and then install the other guy. And the other guy's administration allegedly signed part of the contract. At least they say they have a signature on the contract. And the captured former Green Berets that are over in Venezuela now have been paraded out onto live television. And they have claimed that the Trump administration knew and that it was directed from the White House. And the reports on this are that there's a possibility that these two green braves were using like some blinking techniques to signal that they're being forced <laughs> to link this to the Trump administration, which I find that really interesting. I'm about to go back and watch the video now, but it's just a really bizarre and interesting story that is not even being denied by all parties. Silver, that group Silver Corp is kind of boasting about it. And there is definitely some ties to the, what's the other guy's name? Not Madura. But the other Guaido, yes, his administration, they said, well, we were talking with this group about possibly doing this, but we didn't sign it. We didn't actually go forward with it. So the second this came out, Media Monarchy tweeted at me that this was Bay of Pigs all over the place. And I mean, even the imagery looked Bay of Pigs. So I just from that moment on, I was waiting for it to like implicate Trump. I even started to wonder if that was going to be the October surprise, one of the October surprises. He said today that he learned a lot from Richard Nixon, especially not to fire people. So everyone's saying like this guy's um, 
role model is Richard Nixon. Now it's a different president. That would be Kennedy. But it's all these callbacks to old stuff. Even the blinking was a famous prisoner of war did that to get a message out. Yeah. And one of the Green Berets who is being held captive right now appears, this is according to Vice, to be really into QAnon. A lot of attempts to link this to Trump, to the extreme Trump supporters going on here. More vigilantism? Yeah, they were going to try and take over an airport, too. They, the part so the, is, this is the deep, deep state? This I, is the I four guess. deep state? This, I mean, the plan is really interesting. <laughs> they were going to try and take over an airport and shut down the airport, take control of it so that they could get an airplane, and then they're going to commandeer an airplane, I guess, and then get the Venezuelan president on that airplane and bring him to the United States. I mean, why not just kill him? I don't know. It wouldn't be as interesting of a story, I guess. (laughs) Ridiculous. Hey, I've got some stuff that I have been holding for a few days now, so I might have to do it on the Patreon 15. I want to talk about limited liability. Uh, I, I I think this might be the first time in my life I've disagreed with Stefan Kinsella, so I'm guessing I'm wrong, but I'm going to go for it anyway. And the Uncanny Valley, man, got a little more fuel to that fire for me overnight, so I'll tell you about that. And, uh, and who are they? Someone wants to know. I might have to save that one for Monday. All right. Happy I Mother's Day. Wait. Happy Mother's Day. That's Buy right. your mother. I'm putting money in her OTB account, off-track betting account. So that's something you can do remotely without a time lag in case your mom has an off-track betting account or likes lottery tickets, send her some scratch-offs. Get your mom an off-bank <laughs> off betting, betting Off-track betting account for Mother's Day and fill it up with some money so she can have it's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every week afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content that we post every day that we post at Drive Time News Blast, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and become a patron for $5 a month, less than 15 cents a day. We do accept higher donations for people who want to help continue keeping the show going, and we will talk to you guys next week. Have a great weekend.